Second part, be of good cheer, for Jesus has overcome. The first part, eh, there'll be trouble. I, I'm, I'm good, thanks. I, I got enough trouble. I don't need any more of that. We don't spend much time thinking about that. I, I, I think somewhere along the line we get the idea that suffering is not for everyone. It's, it's, it's not for the good Christians, right? Like if we're doing everything the right way, like if, if, we're, if, we're, if we're praying the right way, then, then we won't have to suffer. If we, if we just believe the right way, if we believe hard enough or, or enough in, in Jesus, we won't have to suffer. If, if only we just accept Christ into our hearts, then everything's just going to be nothing but rainbows and unicorns, as a friend of mine likes to say. The only problem is that's not what Scripture says, right? Scripture says that in this world you will have trouble. Scripture says that you are going to suffer. And so we shouldn't be surprised by this when we see it. In fact, look at the life of Jesus whom we follow. Jesus obeyed God's law perfectly. Jesus prayed like no one else had prayed before and has since. He believed in God and trusted and followed God's plan to the T. And yet look where it got him. Crucified, dead, and buried. Richard Rohr is a Catholic priest and a teacher that I, who I admire. and He talks about this idea that we're often too quick to jump to resurrection without realizing that death is required first. He talks about this in terms of the idea of this, uh, something he calls the sign of Jonah. And there's a couple of scriptural references to this in the Gospels of Matthew um, chapter 12 and Luke chapter 11, uh, where the Pharisees are having a conversation with Jesus and they're saying, hey, show us a sign. And Jesus says, I'm not going to give you any signs. You don't need any signs except for the sign of Jonah. And so you remember the story of the prophet Jonah, right? God called Jonah to deliver a message to the Ninevites. Jonah like ran the other way and was like, mm-mm, I'm not doing that. Found himself in the belly of a whale for three days, right? Then he got spit up on shore and eventually was like, okay, fine, I'll go tell him. That was the story of Jonah. So the sign of, that's, that, that's behind this, this idea, the sign of Jonah. And Rohr, uh, in his book, What the Mystics Know, he says this. He says, without the sign of Jonah, the pattern of new life only through death Without that pattern of new life only through death, Christianity remains a largely impotent ideology. Another way to win instead of pain of faith. Or it becomes the language of ascent, like we're, we're climbing, we're getting to a better space, we're going to get above all this suffering. It becomes the language of ascent instead of the treacherous journey of descent that characterizes Jonah Jeremiah, Job, John the Baptist, and Jesus. After Jesus, Christians used the metaphor, the way of the cross. Unfortunately, it became what Jesus did to save us, or a negative theology of atonement, instead of the, nece here's the, important part, the necessary pattern that is redemptive for all of us. Jesus' death and resurrection is a necessary pattern that is redemptive for all of us. And so sometimes we look at Jesus as the cosmic problem solver instead of the teacher of the path. That's the end of Rohr's quote. He's, so he says, we don't recognize the necessary pattern, the, that the way of Jesus, the way of new life and redemption is first through suffering and the cross. We're too quick to jump to resurrection and light and hope and all the good things 
But Roar urges us to spend some time in the darkness, in the hopelessness, in the death, because that's real. Acknowledge it. Name it. Allow yourself to feel it and experience it. And know that that, even that, is a necessary part of healing and redemption and salvation. The good stuff doesn't mean anything without the difficult stuff first. We can't get to the joy of Easter without spending time in the agony of Good Friday. We can't do it. There's no other way. That is the pattern. That is the way of Jesus. That is the way of the cross that Christ set before us. And so those are the words to the church of Smyrna, itself a place familiar with destruction and rebirth. Jesus Christ, the first and the last, who died and came back to life, he urges that church to follow him. Follow the way of the cross. Endure the coming suffering. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. That is the way of Jesus. Verse 11 says, if you can hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So I'm wondering, what are you hearing, church, today? What are you hearing the Spirit say to you? It's a little hard, I'll admit, because we don't exactly resonate with the church at Smyrna, right? There are places in the world where you can be imprisoned and even killed, for proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. But Boone, North Carolina is not one of those places, right? So how do we relate to this message? What does this message mean for us today? What does it look like? What does the way of the cross look like here and now for us? Another way to ask that is what might God be calling us to be faithful to in the midst of our suffering and pain? What might God be calling us to be faithful to in the midst of our difficulty and suffering and pain? And how do we even begin to do that? I think it starts by acknowledging that we are all suffering. We all are suffering in our own way. None of us has it all together, despite what our social media looks like and what social norms tell us we're supposed to say. We all know the answer, right? When someone asks you, how are you doing? Oh, good, fine, fine, yeah, good, really good. Things are great, even though like your whole life might be completely contrary to that in that given moment, right? We say we're fine, we're good, we're good. No, don't do that. We are not all okay. And it's okay that we're not all okay. It's okay, because in this world, there will be suffering. In Scripture, the Psalms are replete with suffering. Over half of them are Psalms of lament. And they give us words and prayers to express the suffering in our lives and to sit with that pain in the company of the saints. Listen to just a few of the Psalms. Right, Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Psalm 22, Jesus prayed from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 61, hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. 130, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Psalm 6, 
I am worn out from groaning. Every night, I drench my bed with my tears. When we feel suffering and pain, we are in the company of the saints. That's what it means to be human, in part. And I don't know what your suffering looks like, but we all have it. We all deal with it. It might be related to broken relationships or relationships that you mourn that you don't even have in your life and you wish you had. It might be grief over loved ones who are no longer with us. Your pain might be related to your health or the health of someone you know and, and the anxiety of dealing with that uncertainty. Maybe there's pain around you for job loss or vocational challenges or changes. Maybe you're struggling with identity and purpose in life after some kind of life transition or, or, or dramatic event that happened to you. Maybe it's just the grind of everyday life wearing you down. Or maybe the cumulative effect of sin in the world and how exhausting that can be. Whatever you're suffering, know that we all experience it. It's part of being human and it's okay to admit it. But also know that the way to healing and redemption is to pass through death first. And so here's my final question. What in your life right now needs to be put to death in order that you might experience life more fully? What do you need to let go of and let God work healing in in order that you might experience new life and resurrection? Maybe it's letting go of a relationship because you finally realize just how toxic it is and how painful that's become. Maybe it's dying to the dreams that you had about what you thought your life was going to look like. Maybe it's time to die to the idea that you can accomplish it all on your own. You can accomplish it all at all. Maybe it's time to die to the understanding of what success looks like in your mind or what you thought it looked like. Maybe it's time to die to the idea that you always need to be right. Maybe it's time to let that die. So these are all sources of suffering and pain in our world, and there are a million more. We could name them all day long. But what I want to challenge you to do is to spend some time in prayer this week. Spend some time in prayer this week contemplating the suffering and pain in your life. Where does it hurt? You know where it is. And then where does it hurt deep beyond that, beneath that? And what is it that God might be trying to help work out in you in order that you might experience new life and resurrection? What is it that God might be asking you to allow to die in order that God might live more fully in you? I just want to say, <laughs> it's interesting, I... Let me say this first. It's interesting when you look at those psalms of lament. There is a clear turning point in almost every one of those psalms where it turns from the despair and the crying out to faithfulness. In almost every single one of them, they choose to persevere despite their suffering. Psalm 13, the one that begins by asking, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
Here's how Psalm 13 ends. It says, but I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. Yes, I will sing to the Lord because he has been good to me. And maybe you're not ready to read that verse yet. Maybe you're not ready to read that last verse. And in fact, I'm not sure the psalmist was ready to write that. But it was written because the thing is, the salvation hadn't happened yet. What it says is, my heart will rejoice someday. I will sing eventually. Psalmist chooses instead to persevere through the pain and choose to be faithful. Psalm 22, the one that Jesus quotes from the cross, concludes this way. It says, future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Declaring in the future to a people yet unborn, he has done it. We started out saying, God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And we end by saying, he has done it. It is accomplished. It is finished. That's what faith looks like. That's what it looks like to be faithful because God is faithful. And so I want to encourage you this week that whatever it is that you are facing that is causing pain and suffering and difficulty in your life, press on. Walk on. Be encouraged knowing that there will be suffering. There will be pain. But eventually there will be new life. And in order for that new life to be birthed forth, we must first endure the inevitable suffering that comes from living in a broken world. We must be uncomfortable, we must be stretched, but we must persevere. Because we know that suffering is part of the process. It's only just a small piece of the bigger story of salvation that God is writing in our lives and in the whole entire cosmos. Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, and I'll close with this. He says, I believe that the present suffering is nothing. The present suffering is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going to be revealed in us. And man, sometimes it's hard to live in that present suffering, but man, the coming glory is coming because God is faithful and God is good. So hang in. Hang in there. Jesus tells the, Smyr- the, the church in Smyrna, do not be afraid of suffering. It's only for a season. Be faithful to what God has called us to, the way of the cross, because that's the way of life. So friends, if you can hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Come, Holy Spirit.